2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Are we starting the podcast now? Or? Oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and today's episode is with Alicia. And we keeps it we keeps it pretty real in this podcast. So if you uh, got younger ears, you might want to. Uh, know that ahead of time that we keeps it real but this podcast is a power this is so much power um it's just a beautiful story of god healing and so i'm excited for you to listen to it listen uh i feel like i feel like there's been some really good episodes of late and that um man i don't know what to say outside that these stories are giving me life and just just blessing so um i'm trying to think of announcements if you have been going to the death of life bible study at Tuesday on Tuesday at 1:30 central then you would have heard part of this story first and that's just a plug for you to get out uh and and hang out with us for an hour this last week we had uh Lauren Fogg testify on that mug ooh mercy uh, but with that all being said, let's just get into this thing because it's a little bit of a longer one. Uh, buckle up, strap in, love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Yo, Richard, are you about to do the podcast? Soy hasta que me apague, que me apague, que me apague. 
Parece que me buscan por allí Pero yo me atrevo a que tenga que sufrir Yo no hago nada sin traerme todo el team Vamos con la... So, Alicia, um, where are we going to start this thing? You tell me. Uh, I think we got to start with some death. Um, we shouldn't. We should not rename the podcast "Life to Death" and hear all about the life, and then be like, "Well, what happened before that?" Yeah, we should start with some. Death. Yeah, <laughs> let's start. So with, let's start with some death. Yeah. Why oh, do we have to? <laughs> yeah, because when the death is really like deathy, then the life is just that much more lifey. And I'm so mad that I just said that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> So what I liked it. What's what's what was the death like? Who was dead, Alicia? Lost in, in her sins and transgressions in, with the evil yeah. wicked heart out of covenant with God. Who was that? That's right. Yeah, so I guess let's start with little Alicia, child Alicia. Um so from a very young age. I've always been a very analytical, like deep thinker from a very young age. Um, so I was born in Paradise, California. We moved to Kansas when I was about three years old. So most of my memories in early childhood, it's going to happen in a little place called Fort Scott, Kansas. Um, my dad studied to become a pastor. Um, from the time I was born and he graduated and that's why we moved to Kansas um, because he became a pastor in the Kansas Nebraska conference. Um, so from a very young age, I had like a lot of questions about religion and faith. And, you know, I think I was probably five or six years old and questioning like, why can't we wear jewelry, but we can wear flashy watches um, That's a good and throwing one. challenges, right? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, so I remember, and again, I was probably like maybe six. I know I was really young and we lived out in the country and I would go on these walks with my dad and I would ask him these questions because it didn't make sense in my brain. And I've always been the kind of person that if you give me like, oh, that's just how it is. Like, I don't, I don't accept it's that. Like, it's not going to work. Um, Did he have good answers? So, yeah. Well, my dad, thankfully, like, he has a very similar brain to mine. And he also, like, recognized inconsistencies. And so when I asked these questions, he would not try to give me an answer that didn't make sense because a lot of times he didn't know and he was kind of questioning it too. And so he would tell me that he didn't know, which was huge for me because I can accept, I don't know. I can't accept something that doesn't make sense in my brain. Um, yeah. When, when you're working at, when you work with young people and if they ask you a question, that's like a little, like jewelry is a good one. And they ask mm -hmm. you a question about jewelry and you go into your explanation of jewelry, but you're just kind of like, you're questioning it yourself. And, but you're going, you know, you want to, you know, if you're working at a school that there's a, a jewelry policy, um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta balance it out. And, uh, 
sometimes you're just hoping you get to the end of it and they're like, okay. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but I, by the end of my time working um, in Academy, I would just be like, you don't wear jewelry here because that's the rule. Like it has right. nothing to do with salvation, but it's the rule. Yep. Just like you have a dress code at McDonald's if you work there. Um, because going in and explaining, like making it a religious reason, it just felt bad. You know what I'm saying? Right. But that's, that's we're not going to talk about jewelry, but that your dad <laughs> handled it well then. Yes, he definitely did. Uh, with him, I was allowed to kind of question the, the things that went on in my brain, um, which was huge for me. And, you know, my relationship with um, Christianity, with, you know, spirituality and, and with Adventism in particular, because within Adventism is where I had a lot of the questions. I think I didn't have so many questions about Jesus. Like, I loved Jesus. You know, I loved him. Um, but I had a lot of questions about, like, these these policies and these rules and regulations. Um, and I challenged them a lot from a very young age. Um, another thing that kind of came into play from the time I was a very small child is uh, I was, I became very fearful, a very fearful child um, in the sense that like, I think there's kids that are just more sensitive than others. Um, and I was a pretty sensitive child. So I, I remember seeing something really kind of disturbing on the news at somebody's house one time and um like with some soldiers and stuff. And after seeing that on television, like I became so terrified of anybody who was wearing camo because that's who the, what the people were who were doing this thing that was really violent and, and disturbing. And so I became really terrified and I started believing that they were going to come into our house, which we lived in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, like, 30 minutes from the nearest town, we had 14 acres, like nobody's going to come to this little house. But in my mind, like they were coming for me, they were coming for me and my family. <laughs> and so I started like obsessively locking all the doors and all the windows in our house where our nearest neighbor is like a mile and a half away. And I was, again, very small, but I remember it pretty vividly. Also, if I heard a story about, you know, a young child getting sick or their parents dying, then in my head, I'm like, oh, my parents are going to die. Or, oh, I'm probably, I probably have cancer and I'm going to die because I heard this thing about it happening to somebody my age or, you know, somebody my age had something happen to their parents. So just pretty much anything scary <laughs> that I heard, like in my brain, that was what was going to happen. Um, so that just like, like as I got older, like it still was a part of me. Um, but I started like recognizing that, um, that it wasn't really logical. It was still there, but I recognized that it wasn't really logical. And so it became very important to me that I counteract these irrational thoughts with logic. And so it just became this thing because I didn't want to appear irrational to the outside world because I, I started recognizing like, 
this doesn't really make sense. How did you figure um, that out? I think just observing, I've always been an observer of people and situations. Like I think there's a, there's the type of people who go out and they kind of have to experience things in order to learn. And I was always watching and observing and thinking that didn't work out so well for that person. So I should not do that kind of thing. So I was always kind of, I made my choices very much with a lot of thought um, based on what I was seeing in the world and what was being told to me. Right. Right. Yeah. So then, so, so logic becomes a big part of your life. A hundred percent. Yeah. If it's not rational, like we're not going to do that. Right. Um, and I was always also kind of raised to like, it was very important to my dad that, uh, he had two daughters. He, you know, there's three of us, um, but my brother came a lot later, so he had two girls. And it was, like, very important for him to raise us to be able to be independent and stand on our own two feet and kind of this stuff. So so whenever there were these, like, stereotypes that's about women, I'm like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that because that's the stereotype. So, Give me an example. <laughs> like, um, let's see. So... This is just a silly example. So, like, when I went through puberty and got my period, like, there's this thing, like, women get emotional when that happens. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I'm not going to get emotional. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, so I'm going to control myself and make sure that I don't become irrational during this time because I don't like you telling me that this is just what women do. Did that work? <laughs> I, I got pretty good at it, yeah. Like, yeah, I think I just got really good at internalizing everything. You're, you're, um, you strike me as like, and from this story, like you're an individual. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> you're, you're a idea hipster. Maybe. <laughs> I love that. An idea hipster. I have never heard that, but I, no, really, it's, it's, I really like it. It's just like. I'm my own person and this is what I think and you can't put me into you can't put me into a corner or you don't you don't know me, bro. Yes. Am I right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um so let's like follow that into the teenage years where when you're a teenager it becomes very important to have friends and a social life and have people like you. Um and and I think you're kind of wrestling. You're trying to figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. And also, it's just like such a, I don't know. I feel like, I, I feel like a lot of te teenagers for a period of time, like, lose their footing in a sense. Like, like, the footing of who they are. Like, I feel like, at least in my experience, like, I was more grounded in my identity, like, as a child. And then after the teenage years and then the teenage years i was just trying to they suck. it felt like everything was up in the air <laughs> those years can be awful and i mean I, I can't say mine were awful but yeah you're just having to figure this stuff out because you want to be an individual but you want to look like everybody else but you don't want to look like everybody else but you do like it's just 
it's, it's yeah. hard. Yes, yes. So um, another part of my background, um, which kind of definitely played into this, um, like why being a teenager was hard for me. Um, so I was homeschooled all but one year of like my entire like high school, elementary, like <laughs> early years. So um, uh, yeah, so I was homeschooled and I was also very, very sheltered, like very, very sheltered. Um, like when I was 12 or 13, I didn't know what the swear words were. Like I would have friends and they would be like, oh, do you know what the S word is or the D word? And I'd be like, I don't know. And I would feel like really embarrassed because that's like a knowledge thing and being knowledgeable was important to me. And so when you're like, it made me feel like really stupid. <laughs> but yeah, Nola, very sheltered. My sweet daughter the other day, and this was maybe half a year ago. She said, such and such at school said the F word. She said this to my wife. And my wife was like, oh. just try, trying to play it super cool. And she's like, really? She's like, what, what is the F word? And Nola says, failure. And she's like, oh. yeah. <laughs> that's that's you word. at 13. You're like, the F and word? That's me at Somebody failed? No. Yeah. Not failure. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I don't know how to ask this question without just asking it. Were you weird socially? I was definitely weird and awkward socially. A hundred percent. Yeah. It was one of those like where I saw people doing the social interaction and I had like we lived in, like I said, in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. And I had my one best friend that I grew two best friends that I grew up with in church from a really young age. And so they remained my friends all through that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you start a friendship so young, like it's not awkward because you're not meeting them for the first time. You've known them forever. Right. Um, right. So I had those friends, but then I would go to like, my mom was like being a good homeschool mom and making sure we got involved in our homeschool groups and stuff. And I would want to hang out with the other kids but I didn't know how to get in there. I was like very shy, very introverted. Um, and so I would just not say anything and I would just watch and I, I would be like, I don't know how to do this. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. So, and I, I think I like, I was a pastor's kid. Right. And so with pastor's kids, like you go to things. So there's like prayer meetings that you go to at different locations and then there's camp meetings. And so every year we would go to the camp meeting in Lincoln, Nebraska for at sure, Union. Sure. Yeah. And so I had there was where I felt the most normal because I had a group of friends. What year were you going to these camp meetings? Oh, goodness. I think I'm you're a lot younger than I am, but maybe we were there at the same time. It's possible. Um, so I'm 34, uh, and I would have gone, like, from the time I think I was seven, the first time I went, and I was probably, I was 14 the last time I went, and we went every year. And Yeah, we were going in the, the mid to late 80s, so we probably missed each other probably missed each other yeah uh, we probably i think we know some of the same people i'm sure we do. um well back then they don't know me anymore <laughs> i remember them <laughs> but you would go to these camp meetings 
I would go to these camp meetings. And so we had a crew and almost all of them were pastors daughters. And there was like maybe seven of us and we would just hang out in the girls dorm room lobby. And, um, and then we would go to the different things that they have going on for, for the, the kids and the youth um, at the time. And they were the ones who were actually like, you don't know this word. You don't know this word. You go to camp <laughs> meeting and you come back and you're just like, damn it. And they're like, no. I don't know anything. <laughs> uh, but I mean, thankfully, like, you know, I-, I felt accepted other than those like awkward, like I realized, like, I don't know a lot of these things that all these, other kids my age do know um like i think the first pg-13 movie i watched i was 15 and it was titanic (laughs) when my okay i'm sorry i just have to had this story because you said titanic my parents (laughs) took us to see titanic and we were probably much older than you but we didn't go to the movie theater at all and my mom had heard that this was a big time movie and so she took us to see it and I'm sitting next to her, and she she would never let us to go to the theater for for like the Ten Commandments, but she took us to Titanic, <laughs> and the scene happens where he's drawing her, and my mom starts, I think she started hitting me, and I'm just like, I didn't produce this movie, this is not my fault. I would okay. I, 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 I would like her to put her clothes on as well. This is very uncomfortable for me to be here with you. So you you went to see Titanic or you saw Titanic? That was the first. Piece. I saw Titanic. Sorry, I just yeah. had to add a story and make it about me. But okay, that's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> like this is your fault. I didn't produce it. So so you're you're. How did that hit you when you're watching uh these movies for the first time? Was that strange? Um. I think it was strange. Like I ended up like watching them, I think with my mom. And at that point, like I'll give this to my parents. Like my parents did the right thing in like teaching us about sex and all of these things. Like they did the books that you're supposed to do, like the Christian parents do. And they like had us do that. Um, Maybe not quite as educational as maybe they should have been, but they were like, this is important. And it's important that our kids learn from us. And especially like, I mean, we're homeschool, we're not going to get the sex education from schools. Um, Anyway, so I'll give it to them. So at that point, like, I, I knew, like, I was reasonably educated about that. Um, But yeah, I know my mom would like whenever we had that part is like, cover your eyes, cover her eyes. Um, (laughs) And I'm like, mom, this is so strange. Why are you doing this? Or like fast forward the parts. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways. And I mean, I'm like 14, 15 at that point. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, it's so romantic. And like getting swept up and like the love story and like imagining what it's going to be like when I find my person. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, all of that. So you're going through that. Uh, you Did you get homeschooled for all of high school? So um, when I was 14, we moved from Kansas to Oklahoma. Um, So that really shook my world Um, because at least in Kansas, even though I had issues with the social things, you know, being awkward, like I had people, like I had my my best friends um, that I would hang out with. And then I had my crew from camp meeting 
you know, for most people, it's like, it's so weird, but I consider them my crew, even though I only saw them like once or twice a year, or we would go to Broken Arrow Ranch together and I would see them there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of like my social life. Um, so when we moved, at first it was like, you know, maybe exciting, like maybe I'll figure this social thing out and maybe I'll actually like make some friends and, you know, beyond these like friends that I have that I only see a few times a year. And then, you know, my, my two friends that I see more regularly. Um, And so I went into it kind of excited. And then like when I got there, it was like, I think, you know, when there's like the new girl, like it's maybe really interested, interesting for a period of time, like a short period of time. And then once you get past that point, and if that person is actually pretty awkward and uncomfortable, mm-hmm. like it, it kind of dwindles out. So I kind of, I spent like from 14 on really not having any close friends like Mm. my age like just trying like trying really hard to figure this thing out and trying to make a connection and it not really working because I couldn't figure it out um and so I ended up because I thought that the reason I couldn't connect with people was um was because I was homeschooled I'm like well okay like I begged my parents to let me go there was like a little day academy there um like Adventist Day Academy where there's um, seven people in the high school. <laughs> so teeny Tulsa, tiny. Or where is this? No, this is in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Okay. Um, so at the time it was called Beavers Adventist Academy. Um, now it's called Ardmore Adventist Academy. Um, so I begged my parents to go, and this was like my sophomore year of high school. And my parents finally caved in and I went to school there. Um, and like, I had, like, we had one high school teacher for the whole, you know, ninth grade through 12th. And there were four girls and four boys. Um, and that was, that was the high school. And again, like, it's one of those, like, like it's fun for like the first little bit. And then you fall into like, I don't actually know how to connect and I don't know what to say. Or if I say something, it's going to be wrong and I'm going to be embarrassed. So I'm just not going to say anything because at least if I don't say anything, nobody can make fun of me. Oh, this is sad. Right? I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so, yeah, so I did that for uh, half. I think it ended up being half of my sophomore year and half of my junior year. And at the end of it, I was just done. I was super depressed. Um, I was super lonely. I was, it, it just wasn't working. And so I begged my parents to let me quit and just finish, finish high school. I was like, at this point, I'm like, I am going to just do one of these at the time you, now you can get online and just get your high school diploma and do online classes. But at the time, it's like this mail-in high school program where you can um, do your work and then get your high school diploma. So I was like, I'm just going to do that and I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get done really fast. And um, How old and were yeah. you when you were just like, I'm done? Uh, yeah, so I was 17 okay. when I was done. Yeah, I was 17 when I was done. And uh, so yeah, at that point, I was like, kind of screw this. 
screw people. Um, I don't, this is like, this is dumb. Like I'm going to figure out who I am, who I am. And, and I'm going to figure out what music I like. I'm going to figure out all of this stuff and people are going to have to take me or leave me because I'm done with this whole trying to fit in thing. Um, so that was like rebel Alicia coming out of this high school <laughs> experience. So what music um, did you go to? So, so this is really funny because don't tell me what to listen to. At the, like when I was in the academy, I listened to what was popular at the time. Mm-hmm. And after that, I was like, okay, well, I didn't like that. So I'm going to figure out a complete opposite music. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, at the time, like, uh, I think after Titanic, the next big movie was Pearl Harbor. So I got really into like, the swing music and all of that and it kind of morphed into uh there's a genre of music that's called classical crossover which is kind of a combo of classical music with more contemporary it can be mixed with like rock songs and all of this and you could do like opera but you'll have like some hardcore drums and I'm like this this is me (laughs) so like (laughs) Like, is there an artist that I would know that would that does this kind of music Oh, I don't know. Like some big ones would be probably Il Divo. I think, I think a lot of people know that it's an Italian name. Um, they're like the boy band of crossover classical music. Il Divo, um, I L D I V O. Yes. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to think. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. There's a violinist called David Garrett, and. I can't remember when I heard this song, but there's this song that he does that is uh, called Vivaldi versus Vertigo, which is a Vivaldi, like popular classical song mixed with a U2 Vertigo song. And like when you hear it, it's like, oh, super classical. And then it comes in with this like hardcore rock. And when I heard that song, I was like, this is me. Like, for me, that song, like, represented who I was, like, perfectly, because I always felt like there were just these two warring sides of myself, and I never knew, like, they didn't seem to fit together. They seemed super opposite, Um, but when I heard that song, I'm like, oh, like, this is, like, they can go together. (laughs) Um, Music is so powerful. Mm -hmm. It is so powerful. And like the emotion that's tied to it and the memory that's tied to it. And like, I hear what you're saying and you're like, you saying, this is me. Cause like, I still think about that when I listen to music now, like just on the 4th of July, I was telling everybody that when we're walking into the, when we're walking into heaven, God's going to have you two playing where the streets have no name going on. Like the beginning part and it's, it's going to get built up. And then when Bono yells out, I want to run, that's when I'm going to run into heaven to see Jesus. And I like, I mean that 100% because that song is me. So I understand what you're (laughs) saying. I'm not sure if I just looked up Il Devo on Instagram and it's that's interesting so this was your the popular music at that time you're like nah not feeling it yeah and i'm gonna be i'm gonna do this thing 
Yeah. So what did that? I'm going to be my own person. So what did that do? Be you being your own person. Um. So it definitely, like, um, if you go back to pictures of me as a freshman in uh in college, because I ended up going to Southwestern, um, I do not look the same. Um, I need to see these people, photos. I'm, I'm, I hundred percent. I want to put 100% it. You do. I want to put it on Instagram when I put the little clip of what you're saying. I want it to be you. You're. You got to send me a picture. Um, I'll have to do that. So I had. Um, so I had. Anyways, I, a hair drama when I was after this whole thing, um, where basically my hair melted off my head because of a bad perm. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great for the low self-esteem girl trying to find herself. <laughs> this was in college when you got your bad perm? No, no, no. This is actually before. This is when I'm like finishing up my senior year of high school. Um, so I ended up having to cut my hair really short um, because my hair, <laughs> my hair melted off. Um, I'm sue that barber. I'm about to go to college my freshman year. I know. You melted my I know. hair. I know it was. Yeah. Anyways. So I had like a really short haircut and I was trying to grow it out. Um, but it wasn't long enough. So like when I started my freshman year in college, it was like this awkward in between stage where I was trying to grow it out, but it wasn't really long enough to do anything. So anyways, I started like putting ringlets in and I got myself, um, the nickname, um, <laughs> La Monroe, which is for Marilyn Monroe, because I looked like I was from the 50s. Um, and I had this really, like, weird, like, anyways, I stood out, basically, because I had adopted this, like, 1940s style. I so wore, like, all this So you were kind of like Deschanel in that way? Would you... <laughs> I don't know who that is. Deschanel is, like, a very, or she was, she's... She plays the character on The New Girl. I don't know if you've ever watched the show. Oh, yeah. I do know who that is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But everything about her is, like, super whimsical. And the movie 500 Days of Summer came out, and she played the character Summer, and she's super whimsical. And at that time when that movie came out, a lot of women were dressing, like, in dresses again and riding, like, bikes that had, like, no gears, like a no-gear bike. Is that okay. is that kind of what you like? You were just like the fifty, the forties and fifties are where it's at. Kind of like I had gotten really interested in fashion around that time. Like I subscribed to Vogue, and I was just really into this like high fashion stuff. And I I had learned like all the high fashion is not really what's popular. Like most of like the high fashion, like the model shoots, are they're very eccentric and out there. Right. And at the time going into college, like my dream was to have a boutique, like I was going to be a fashion designer. And um, this was like my 18 year old self, like I'm just going to be this creative and I'm going to have a boutique and I'm going to design my own clothes. And I'm like, well, people in the fashion world are very eccentric. And I was like, so if this is what I'm going to be doing, it's okay for me to be eccentric because it fits in. Um, so you share, my, you share a love for the devil wears Prada like I do? You, I loved <laughs> I love that movie. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, it's just like one of those really satisfying movies. Oh. Like all the outfit changes. It's just like, 
Yeah. And I, lo- I can watch And this. I love, and if you're listening to this podcast and you don't want to hear about the Devil Wears Prada, well, fooey <laughs> on you. Because like when I read articles about how Miranda Priestley's office was exactly like Anna Wintour's office so much that Anna Wintour redecorated her office immediately after seeing that movie. It just feels <laughs> really good. All right. We're back to this podcast. We're you're, back to this podcast. You're... You're like owning your, I'm going to be different. I'm eccentric. I'm in yep. high fashion. And this yep. is kind of your little identity as you're going into your freshman, sophomore year of college. Yeah. Yeah. I still definitely have this thing. Like, I'm not going to let people hurt me anymore. Like Defensive. people are going to take me or leave me. Like, so I'm just going to be this kind of out there person. It's the, I don't um, care, but the, I don't care is really, I really care, but it hurts too bad. So I don't care. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. So freshman year. Um, anyways, like I went in and for some reason, like, again, like I've had this anxiety thing all throughout. I don't really have a name for it at that point. Like I'm not, I don't know what anxiety is, but I definitely am. I like, I have all these fears, but again, um, like I also like, um, watched my mom deal with a lot of fears and and her her representation of it like it was just in my head very clearly irrational and I was like I don't want that Hmm. like I want to be viewed as logical and rational and all of these things so for me what that manifested into is nobody's going to see my fears. I'm just going to battle this in, out in my head. And what people are going to see is is this thing that I want them to see hmm. of me. Hmm. Um So, so yeah, so I'm battling a lot of fears, but again, like not going to admit that out loud. Nobody's going to know that. Um I'm going to pretend that it's not happening. Um, so I go through that. So one of the things is like when you go to Adventist college and again, like this is kind of a weird, not a weird thing, but being a pastor's and Adventist pastor's kid, I was like, I don't want to marry an Adventist. I don't want to be an Adventist. Like I love God. I love Jesus. But this Adventist thing, eh, not for me. Um, uh, when I was 18, like right before I went to college, I got my ears pierced because I'm like, I'm just was this gonna, just straight rebellion or was there like a reason like these people are phonies? Like I, wa- I wanted to, but there was definitely an extra motivation of like, don't put me in this Adventist box. Don't, don't like, I want a visible representation that I don't fit your mold. Um, so it's like, there's, it wasn't just a simple, I want to get my ears pierced. There was, I feel like there's something missing. From this sheltered, I don't know anything, just saw Titanic for the first time till three years <laughs> later, you're like, I'm getting my ears pierced. Was it just the, the hurt of, like, what, what, what yeah, took you there? Yeah, it's kind of, in- it is really interesting um, because, again, I was this very sheltered, like, naive person, but I was also, like, like very into reading, like very into politics, very into like knowing what was happening and uh, very interested in like religion and, and all of this stuff. So like I was this naive, 
like little girl, like I was this naive, like young woman in many, many ways in that I didn't have a lot of experience, but I also was like, I guess I read a lot. And so you're like, like I didn't want <laughs> Yes. Like I'm going to feel this out kind of feeler. Is that what you're saying? No, it's just like, I feel like I've known people like you that are really into reading. Like I've had friends that are like, they're just, but they're very individualistic and they mm-hmm. don't want to be put in a box. But a lot of it is coming from hurt. A lot of it yeah. is coming from pain that they don't, yep. but they keep it bottled up and, yep. and they don't. And then they, they're kind of, they do their own thing. I have a couple girls in my class in high school that really lived like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I had gone out, I had worked at summer camp. I had actually worked at Broken Arrow uh, the summer before I started out Southwestern. So, so during that time, I like drove myself to the strip, like the mall, the closest mall, which was 30 minutes from my house. And I got my ears pierced. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody because you're not going to talk me out of it. And my mom freaked out. Um, if you're listening to this and you're not, and you don't have that conservative background, um, if in conservative traditional Adventist homes, getting your ears pierced is <laughs> kind of crazy, where in other denominations or, or religion, like it's not a thing at all. So you might, it might sound weird when I'm like, oh, you got your ears pierced. But uh, if you are Adventist, you might know exactly what we're talking about. So for those who, I just want to put that out there. So your mom flipped yeah. out. Yeah, she flipped out and it wasn't, well, yeah, she she was not happy with me. At that point, like it wasn't going against my belief system because I was like, the jewelry thing doesn't make sense in my brain. Um, but it was still like a rebellion. It was definitely like, I don't want to be viewed as this. Adventist girl going into college, like, um, kind of thing. But my mom like really flipped out because I had already, um, been granted a job at Southwestern working in the museum. And my mom was like very concerned that me doing this was going to interfere with, um, with that. They're going to fire you. They're going to fire me because <laughs> my ears are pierced. Um, anyways. So yeah, I did that and I showed up at Southwestern freshman. Um, and again, like I went into it, like not going to care, but then also like I actually started connecting with people. I was like, oh, this is, this is kind of cool. Like I like this. <laughs> um, like I started having this social experience, but again, like still definitely protecting myself um, from, from caring too much. Um because I'm not going to let people hurt me again. Um, kind of thing. I'm not going to be hurt again because people anyways, like I don't, I don't blame people. I was very awkward and uncomfortable and, and looking back, I know that now, but, um, but I was just very much like, I'm not going to allow myself to be hurt. It again. hurts a hundred percent. It hurts. Um, so yeah, so I started there and then, I had decided to go to an Adventist university because even though I didn't want to marry an Adventist, I started having all of these like thoughts that, Oh, I feel like it might be harder to find somebody who thinks the way I do if I go outside of the Adventist system. Mm. So, 
<laughs> so that was part of my decision. Um, just having that thought in my head, I was like, I feel like it might be really hard for me to find somebody that I that would be a good fit for me to marry at some point in the future if I was to go to a public university. So it was part of that that decision. So when I'm there freshman year, I'm like, well, I don't want to get married till I'm 25, but I'm still like kind of looking like I wonder, like I wonder if I'm going to meet my person here. Um, I think that curiosity might be in a lot of did people's you, heads going into college. Did you do the whole thing where I'm not going to date my freshman year and you're like, secretly, I really want to date my freshman year, but I'm just saying that. So if I don't date, well, I planned it anyway, so y'all can get off my back. Were you doing that whole thing? <laughs> I don't think I did that whole thing. Um, I don't think I did. I don't think I actually like went out and said, like, I'm not going to date my freshman year. I was definitely like open to the idea of dating. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point. So anyway, so I went through like my first uh, semester of Southwestern and I connected it with different people. I also like, anyways, this, this is just like, I, in a way I kind of earned myself a reputation of an Adventist girl or a good girl gone bad because I was very opinionated. Um, because the other thing was, I'm not going to marry an Adventist pastor like, nope, I grew up in that. I do not want that for my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to be a nurse or a teacher. I'm going to be something totally different than that. So, so basically, like when a guy who was in uh, theology would try to come and talk to me, I would like challenge them hardcore on like Adventist fundamentals and just be like, anyways, I was very loud and opinionated about things like that. So, um, so even though I was still this very naive, like have not done anything kind of girl, I got a reputation of not being that way because I was so loud and opinionated when... What an interesting person. I know. I would have been scared of you. and But then I would have said something like super reckless and you would have just hated me. And I, I probably would. And I would have been like, I really want her to like me, but she's kind of mean. So I had to say that thing. Yeah. So anyways, so yeah, that that was me. Um, and in December of my first year of uh, at Southwestern, and this will just kind of show you how like naive I was. Um, after finals, you know, everybody's like, like relieved and like they want to hang out and do this. So I got invited to a party and in my head, it was going to be like a party with like snacks and like soda, (laughs) like hanging out. Um, So yeah, so I got invited to a party and it turned into this, like, basically it was at, supposedly at this house and the directions people were giving, I was like with some friends and I got driven there and they were supposed to find a key under the mat and you're supposed to go in and the party's there. And so we went to this house that was supposed to be it and there was a key under the mat um, and we went into the house and it was not where the party was at. It was like a family's house that we had gone into. <laughs> like, this was like terrifying. And yeah, so like the police showed up and we're like, what are you doing in this people's house? And like, 
trying to explain like there's a party and the police officers were like, oh yeah, we know where that party is and you guys should probably not go there because we've had issues to there. So we ended up driving all the way back to Southwest. Wait, <laughs> hold on. That. Help so me we... understand this. Did they mess you okay. up and give you the wrong address? Yes. Like to, I think so. To, to mess with you? I don't think it was intentional. I think the house was like right next door and you know, back then, like, there's no GPS or anything. So, like, literally, the house we were supposed to be at was right next door to the house that we ended up going so into. So then you go into this house because they also happen to have a key under the mat, and it's this yeah. family, and they're like, we're calling the cops on you? Yes, 100%. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that was, like, my near experience with my first party that would have had alcohol, and I would have been like, what is this? I don't know what I'm doing. Get me out of Same here. But I didn't end it. Yeah, they called the cops, and we ended up going back to Southwestern. And thankfully, like, like looking back, I'm like, it could have been so much worse than it was because we were literally in somebody's house. That is hilarious. Like, yeah, but, I mean, the cops were very, like, yeah, just go back to school. Like... Just go back. To you school. Adventist kids don't know what you're doing. Go back. Go back. Yeah, go go back to school right now. <laughs> so, anyways, around that time, and I'm trying to think. I think that happened after, but I actually um, met my now husband mm -hmm. uh, like the last week of of For, I don't know. There in December, oh, okay. around First final. Semester. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up meeting him and. Uh, like I gave him my phone number. I was like very forward, but I was not thinking that he was interested in me like that. I was just like, oh yeah, like I'll hang out with the group of your friends and whatever. And um, and anyways, so like he ended up calling me like while we we're on Christmas break, and when I came back the second semester, we started talking and and all of this stuff, and that semester went on and we were talking more and more and around that time I had prayed this prayer I was like God help me to find somebody who's like me um because in my head like if I found somebody who was similar enough to me like it wouldn't be dramatic um it wouldn't be drama so to me that seemed like a very practical thing to ask for like help me to find somebody who's enough like me mm -hmm. that we won't fight all the time mm. <laughs> kind of thing because this is something I had seen kind of play out in relationships and I was like don't want that. Um, so yeah, so I started, you know, meeting this guy and very interested. And we had these like great conversations and um, like it started coming out, like our values seemed very similar. And like, anyways, we were just kind of talking to the night and I was like, in my head, um, I was like, like, this is my person. Hmm. Like, I just had this, like, this, this is it. Like, I'm not going to admit this to him. And like, we're not going to do the whole, I love you thing. Like that we're going to wait a year until that happens. But in my head, I just had this, I don't know. I don't know. Like this piece, there was just something in me that was like, yep. he's it. Yeah. 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 Um, I know what that's like. So with. You know what that's yeah, like, yeah. Natalie, I was just like, oh, she's Mrs. Young. Yeah, yeah. And and we both kind of, like, even though we didn't admit it to each other, we both 
had that sense about each other. And and the interesting thing about our relationship is we weren't, we didn't go through this like puppy love, like head over heels, like, like thing where you can't really think straight. Like in that sense, in the emotional sense, we were pretty steady throughout it. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of that, of course. Um, but it wasn't like, we weren't like crazy. We weren't like crazy in love. We were just, no, I think this is it. Rationally, like on paper, this works out. On paper, this works out kind of thing. Like we're attracted to each other. Like he was like the best looking guy I'd ever, ever dated. And I was like, yeah, I want somebody who's attractive. Like, and we just talk really well and we have similar values and we're not dramatic and we don't fight all the time. And like, this is good. This is, this is it. Um, so one of the things that came into that, again, like I'm a think things out kind of person. Um, and I grew up very much in purity culture, especially with like, like not necessarily, I don't know how that went over in like Adventist academies, because again, I only had like the year experience, but in homeschool groups, like a lot, like it's very conservative evangelical Christian. So very much the whole, I kissed eating goodbye, like (laughs) that's the culture, the whole purity ring, which, you know, of course I'm not going to do because I'm Adventist and no jewelry, but like I was very much in that culture. So I was like educated about that sex, but I'd also very much like received this messaging that told me that um, boys can't control themselves. It's my responsibility to control this area. Mm-hmm. And also like guys who don't have sex, like they're going to have struggles like pornography and all of this stuff, like, or, you know, fidelity, like not cheating on you and like all of this stuff. Like, like that was kind of the messaging that I received. So you get all the when I, yeah, all the pressure. And so as I'm going through this and I'm like realizing like this is like like feeling like this is my person mm-hmm. and also like starting to think rationally, I don't want to get married right away. Um, I want to wait until I've graduated for from college mm-hmm. um, because I don't want this to mess up my life plans. Even though, like, if you're going to marry somebody, that's part of your your life plans. But anyways, I'm thinking through these things, and I'm like, I, I believed that I had to make a choice. And my choices were either we're going to have sex before we get married, or we're going to rush and get married, which, you know, again, there's lots of factors that go into that. Like, one, he has to ask me, and he has to want that, which... um And then I have to want that. And I don't want to get married right away. And then like the third option was, well, we could wait until we get married. But he's definitely going to cheat on me Hmm. if we do that. Why did you think that? And again, that was just like what I believed. Um, So he had been sexually active before me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, he can't go back, you know, and all of this stuff. So this is just like, you know, not pressure from him, but it's like this internal conversation or thoughts that I'm having. And so I felt like I had to make a choice. Um, So I ended up making the choice that, okay, we're just going to do this before we get married. And again, like going up to that decision, I'm like, I have to be okay. If he does the thing that everybody says they're going to do. And, you know, the, um, where basically it's like, well, if he has sex with you, he has no reason to get married to you um, kind of thing. So I was like, well, I have to be I have to realize that that's a possibility. Um, 
So I'm wait, like weighing my options. I'm like, am I, I have to be okay if he decides to leave me. Like I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with the fact that I didn't wait. And if he left me, like I have to deal with that later on. So I'm going through all of these things and I had gone through all those things and I'm like, I, or I think my other option was like, I'm going to lose the guy and I didn't want to lose the guy. So your, um, your main motivation for this decision was there like a surface level decision? Yeah, I'm making it for this reason, but there was something underneath that was the real reason you were making it? Like rational says, if I do this with this person, it means that, you know, rationally, we, we're not going to get married soon and all the stuff that you just said. But yeah. then the underneath version is, Maybe I'll feel better about who I am. Maybe I'll be valued by this person. Maybe he'll love me. Like, was there something like that? So I think honestly, underneath was fear of rejection. Hmm. Like, I think it was the fear that if I didn't do this, then, 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 you know, he was like, I I was going to be rejected by him. So I think honestly, like the, the fear, the underlying fear was not being accepted and experiencing rejection. And that um, was a, even though like that was a bigger motivator than the rational, even though you would have yes. loved it to be the rational. Oh, a hundred percent. Oh, I had convinced myself it was the rational, but uh, like, you know, that the deep, the feeling part of it that I don't want the world to see is that I don't want to experience rejection. Um, because at that point, like, he had become really important to me and yeah it was it was the fear of of losing or being rejected from somebody that i really cared about and i cared what they thought of me so what did he think about all of this did he see all your rationale or did you guys even speak about it no we didn't speak about it no it was just one day i was like okay we're gonna do this thing yeah <laughs> yeah um so yeah and that's the kind of thing that you don't speak about, but it's it's such a profound thing mm-hmm. that you don't have to talk about it, but you're both thinking about it, well, at least for me, for years, where yeah. this was a thing, you know? But if you think, if you talk about it, like it's heavy. Yes. Yes, 100%. So yeah. you made that decision. Um, were you happy with that? decision afterwards or were you like or like once you got got on that on that route were you like okay this is this is me now or were you like yeah were you happy that it was you now no i i think i i was happy that it was me like that was my experience after um so i didn't really let myself think too hard about um yeah like you know, it wasn't like afterwards I was like really sad that it happened. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, like honestly, thankfully, because I I know women who do have that experience and they're just really sad. So I didn't have that. Like um, I didn't have that experience afterward. Um, but I did like what it kind of progressed into. I'm like, obviously, so we haven't gone back. Like we're, we're this couple, we're, we're together, we're dating, we're having sex you know, we're doing this thing. Um, as it kind of progressed, like, I think you start maybe 
at that point, like I started kind of comparing experience, like experience that he had versus experience that I had and feeling like in a way I had to catch up in order to be at the same level. Um, and I think it's more of like trying to protect yourself from, from the rejection. Um, does that make sense? Like 100% if you get into a relationship where one person has more experience than the other person, you kind of have to show that even though they don't have more experience, well, you've done this and you've done this and you're willing to do this so that you can stack up to the, to your competition in your mind, yes. their former yes. girlfriend or boyfriend. So you, you uh, want to stack up to the competition. Yeah. And again, like I'm never going to, and I never did like demonstrate that I'm a jealous, envious girlfriend. Like that's not rational. You're not going to do that. Um, but internally there is that feeling of insecurity of, is there something that he has had before that I don't have that he is going to want that he feels like he's missing out? Like there's that, there's that fear, um, there, whether it's real or not, like it's a fear. Oh, it's huge. Um, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So what that kind of led me into is I started looking up like videos. So I started looking at some pornography videos and like getting into that. And after I did that for a little bit, I started feeling like uncomfortable with it because I started thinking like they're real people. It just feels kind of icky. I don't like this, but I still wanted that. Like, like I wanted it, but I didn't want it. It's like one of those things like you wrestle with the flesh thing. Like this feels really icky afterwards, but it's something in your brain. You're like, Oh, I still want this. So what it kind of developed into is, uh, is I started, you know, getting into like erotica, which you can, you know, find online. And in my head, I was like, well, these aren't actual people. Um, so I don't have that moral thing getting in my way. Um, but it still and, and gives kind off of, the dopamine that you're looking exactly. for. Exactly. A hundred percent. Exactly. Um, so again, like, and I rationalize it, like, this isn't that bad. Like, that's just what you do. Like you rationalize what you're doing, even though like afterwards it feels really icky and bad. Um, and you're like, that's like, I don't know. It just feels, it feels so wrong, but then you want it again. And so you do it again and then you feel bad. And then like, there's this cycle. Um, so I would go like months without it. And I'd be like, oh, it wouldn't be bad for me to do this again, like kind of thing. Did um, you feel like the erotica was, are you having like that feeling like this is icky because it's, you know, whatever you shouldn't be doing, but then having sex, was that at all a thing like, I shouldn't be doing this? Or was it like, well, we love each other and we're committed to each other, so that's okay. But this is kind of like a different thing. Yeah, I think it was that. Yeah, I think it was that because in my head, like at that point I had rationalized, like, like when we continued obviously having sex, I had rationalized. I was like, like we're committed to each other. And like in my head, I'm like 90, 90% chance, like 
we're probably definitely there's maybe like a ten, five to ten percent chance we won't get married, but there's like a ninety percent chance like this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of rationalized like, well, in the Bible, like you didn't need to. I don't know, like like God cares more about like the commitment than the piece of paper. Like that was kind of. Like yeah, the, the old line is, well, we're married in God's eyes already, you know, yeah. you know? and so yeah. that one's been used, uh, I'm sure, for a lot of yeah. people. But So you yeah. you were able to comfort yourself with that, but mm-hmm. the erotica is still yeah. something you're like... The erotica, uh, that, uh, like, You no. can't get out of that one. You can't get out of that one. No, 100%. Like I, like, I felt so guilty and ashamed, and I was like, this is a sin but then like you want it again and i would again rationalize like oh it's not that bad everybody else does it like anyways um so that kind of became a part of my life um and again like i would do stretches where things would be really good and then stretches where i'd just be right back into it and you know shame and condemnation and all of this stuff um so yeah fast forward i did end up like my husband and I did end up getting married. Um, did your parents ever find and, out about any of this stuff? Oh, yeah, <laughs> not about the erotica. Um, so they'll they'll at some point listen to Death to Life podcast and you, hear will all they? Hi, of- mom and dad. <laughs> Hi, mom and dad. I, I, you might not be enjoying this part, but hang on. You might you might not, but hang on, yeah. hang on. Good stuff's coming. Yeah. <laughs> but the, but they did find out about. Uh, how did that go? Yeah, they found out about my husband and I. Um, so we had been dating a year. So this is an interesting thing. Like, um, I had dated boys like in high school, um, like nothing super serious. I never said I love you to any of the boys because I'm like, I'm not going to do that because right. I don't actually love you. That's not rational. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so my mom was always the person who like my dad always tried like anyways my dad would just like have a conversation he might not like the guy but he would never actually say something against the guy and i never like got that but my mom ooh, she didn't like any of my boyfriends and she would just like glare silently at all of them in a very uncomfortable way (laughs) mercy (laughs) she did she did not approve. And so I remember I had been dating my husband for a couple months and I was like, he was like nervous about meeting my dad. I'm like, Oh, you don't have to worry about my dad. <laughs> oh, sweetie. About my, mom. my mom's going to get you. <laughs> my mom is going to get you. And he was like, Oh, I'm not scared of your mom. <laughs> He's like the only boyfriend who was ever not scared of my That's mom. Funny. Um, so yeah, he ended up meeting my parents and, my dad reacted like he did with all the boyfriends. Um, but my mom was like, I can see why you like him. He's handsome. <laughs> like that is like from my mom glowing, like recommendation. Like, <laughs> like, Oh my goodness. My mom likes you. This is crazy. Um, but yeah, my mom ended up finding out a year after and I'm the type of person, like I can keep the truth from somebody, but if you ask me a direct question like I can't lie like I won't lie it's just so my mom yeah so we had been together and and all of this stuff and so about a year after we had been together um, my mom like just sat me down and she was like started having this little like conversation 
and it was like I, I knew she was trying to oh. find out about that part of my life and I just spat it out I was like mom I've been having sex with him for six months <laughs> oh mercy um that broke her yeah heart, yeah I mean she was yeah it it really yeah it did yeah, it did of course um, and she was upset and she was upset with me for that choice. And, and yeah, so things were uncomfortable. And then my dad who had suspected, but had never asked. It's almost um, like they don't want to know. Right. Yeah. So my dad, you know, for him, it wasn't surprised for my mom. I think it was surprising. Um, did they say you like, need I to get she, married to this person or you need to break up or you need to they, or just No, stop, they please? started They definitely had the conversation of like, well, he's less likely to marry you and all of this stuff and I was like like it's my decision kind of thing. Um and my dad was like you shouldn't have told your mom. <laughs> and I'm like, well, she asked me. Yeah. I can't lie to her. Um so they did end up finding out and I'm trying to think when the timing was. So we ended up at moving in with each other a few years after we had been dating. Um, I'm trying to think how long. So we had actually been living in these studio apartments. Like he was living upstairs and I was living downstairs. So we didn't technically live together, but we lived together. Sure. Um, we just maintained two separate spaces for the sake of image. But um but yeah, no, we ended up like officially moving in together. Um, I don't, I don't remember when it was in our dating relationship. Is but, this when you were out um, of college already? No, we were still in college. So we ended up transferring. Well, he didn't go to Southwestern. He had gone to Southwestern. Oh, okay. He had transferred to the, the public university. And after my freshman year, I transferred to the public university um, that he was going to. So we were going to college together there. yeah i was like i'm not um, sure so, they would let you do that at southwestern <laughs> yeah no 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 uh i was only at southwestern for my okay, freshman year um yeah so so we were going to the public university and living in our little studio apartments and that was more for like the image and the family mm -hmm. can you know rationalize that we're not actually living together um, but then we decided to move closer to the university and it was like more expensive to move there so we were like it doesn't make sense for us to get two separate apartments we're pretty much living together anyways and so I think I ended up telling my dad about that ahead of time just because I didn't want it to become dramatic afterwards and again like the same conversation like he do you think that he's gonna marry you after you're already living together like you know all of this stuff and he's um, your dad still point, a pastor at this point so at that point, he was not. Um, so he's a pastor now again. Um, but when we moved to Oklahoma when I was 14, he moved to become a counselor at this place called Lifestyle Center of America, um, which was like a diabetes mm -hmm. recovery center. A lot of Adventists um, worked there, even though I don't think it was affiliated with the Adventist church or anything. So he became like a behavioral health like counselor. Um, so he, that's what he was doing at that time. Um, he's only recently gone back into ministry. Um, so you get married. So we do. Yeah. Um, so we ended up having kind of this conversation and I told him, I basically kind of told him, I was like, listen, like, I just want to let you know, like, 
I'm good with how things are right now, but I am not the type of woman that will be boyfriend and girlfriend with a man forever. Like I'm not going to be here. And so I didn't give him like a time frame, but in my head I had like rationally made the choice. Like if he doesn't propose, I'm going to give him like two more years and then I'm like moving on with my life. Um, so at that point I was probably 20, 21. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 21 and 21 or 22 around there. And, and so, yeah, I mean, at that point he was like, you know, uh, he bought the ring and <laughs> did all the things and ended up proposing to me and we were engaged and we ended up get, getting married when I was 23 and yeah. So got married. you're, you're married. You're now who you've wanted to be in some ways. Yeah. You're an individual. Nobody mm-hmm. thinks like you and you, you <laughs> got out of the, at, at least so far you didn't get rejected. Right. So, exactly. So is your plan oh, working then? Would you, would you, were you thinking I, my plan is working? I, I was thinking my plan was working. Side note, like I did develop out, like I did move out of my um, 1940s style, but in Texas, like it's super popular for women to be blonde and wear a lot of makeup. And so I dyed my hair black (laughs) because like, I'm not like you fools. (laughs) I'm not like these girls. Um, yeah, so that's just my whole, like, like, I'm just going to do this thing to be different. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, like, I thought, like, it was working. I was an individual. I graduated from high school. Like, I didn't quite make it to being married, uh, after I graduated from college, but I was, like, six months. Uh I had six months to go before I graduated. I was like, it's pretty solidly safe that I'm going to graduate college Um, at this point. Like, I don't have a fear that that's not going to happen. Uh, So it was uh, business management. Yeah. Um, So, so yeah, so we, I did it. I did it. I, I graduated six months after, after our wedding And, and yeah, so I, after that, like started looking for a job, um, I had worked as a legal assistant for an attorney almost all through college. And when I graduated from college, you know, I was like, oh, well I could start all of these entry level jobs or I could get a job at another law firm and be making a lot more. Um, so I decided to just go with that career path. Um, and I got a job at, uh, an estate planning law firm um there in texas we were still in texas at the time and i started this job and the job was so 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 stressful to me like it really i think like messed me up uh like mentally but i wasn't like i didn't realize it because again like i have this surface like logical thing where i can like really hide a lot of stress and hurt and depression and anxiety, even from myself. Hmm. Um, it's just like this underlying, cause it's so coded with all of these, like, this is logical. I'm making these choices. So I worked there for a year and, um, at the time we were starting to think about buying a house. And when we started looking at houses, I was like, 
in my head, I was like, if we buy a house in Texas, we're going to live in Texas forever. Um, and I wasn't sure that I wanted that. Um, so I was like, in my head, like I grew up coming to Colorado, uh, growing up cause or Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, my grandparents lived in Montrose, Colorado, and I remember coming as a kid for Thanksgiving and just the mountains were the most amazing, spectacular things I had ever seen. Um, I just had this image in my head of how beautiful it was. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like that's the most beautiful place I've ever been. Wouldn't it be cool if we lived there? Mm. And So my husband is from Puerto Rico and in his head, when I said Colorado, he was like, oh, so Antarctica, that's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) But I ended up like, we ended up visiting in December. uh, We took a little like long weekend vacation and visited and he ended up actually really loving it. And so at that point, we both really loved Colorado. I'm still working this job that I'm really stressed out at. Um, But again, not admitting to myself or anybody how stressed out I am we're like, we should try to move to Colorado. And uh, it so happened to work out that uh, my husband's company that he was working at the time, like bought a branch like the following summer. And I think this is the summer of 2012 and bought a branch in Colorado. And my husband, I was like, oh, that's perfect. You have to ask for the transfer. And he went and he asked him, he was like, I'm moving to Colorado anyway. Um, but I would like to stay with the company. So if it's possible for me to have the transfer, like, and so it ended up working out, he got the job and we, uh, we came to Colorado and I was able to quit the job. And it was after the job, like I realized how stressful it was because I basically just crashed. I was like, it was (laughs) like, I realized how, much it had messed with me after I left mm-hmm. um, because of how exhausted and and just like depleted I was after the fact. Um, how, who who is God at this point? Is he still around? Mm-hmm. Really good question. So God had become over the course of of college and everything. Like it was kind of I think when I first started college, like you have these like what do they call it? Like the summer camp high is like when you hear the beautiful music and hear like great messages. So I had experiences like that at Southwestern. And then after the fact, it was like, (laughs) God is like part of my life in the sense that I like believe in him. And like, we went to church and all of this stuff, but I'm also getting, you know, with my job and everything, like, I don't want to be viewed as like, a legalistic, like, I didn't want to be the person that I felt like a lot of people out in this, like, in more secular culture had experienced with people who call themselves Christian. Um, So I very much didn't want that to be what people experienced with me. Yeah, so what people think of as Christians to go along with kind of who you believed you were that doesn't really yes. match up too awesome. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. So I'm this like independent think for myself, like progressive woman, like 
I'm this, I'm building this career for myself. Like that's, that's the image that like my work people have of me. And that's the image that I want to present. And so when people would ask me, or like when the conversation would come up, I'd be like, like you explain it in a way like, oh, like, yeah, I go to church. Like, and I would come up with like good scientific, like, like for me, it's like, it gives me community and like all of these things that are just like more universal, like, oh yeah, that makes sense why you would Mm -hmm. believe this thing. Um, or you would want to be part of that community, but I would kind of like explain away my faith in a way, like I would be like, it makes because sense. at the time, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> right? And so like, because I'm like thinking rationally, logically, like all of this stuff, like, even though I believe in God and that doesn't really change. And I have these experiences with God and like, I want this faith to be part of my life. Like there's also the part of me that is like, I don't know how to explain this thing. I don't really know how to explain it. And, and like questions like, do I actually really believe this? Why am I still doing this? And so while I never left the church, like I never even left the Adventist church, I continued going to Adventist churches. It was very much like I compartmentalized that part of my life. Um, so even though I've always been a person, like I talked to God, like I would talk to God about everything all the time, like all day long, like, oh, what should I do here? And like, help me with this and help me with that. And <clears throat> prayer has always been like a really big part of my life. There's still this like rational part of like, I don't know how to explain this to people. And like the underlying, like, do I really believe this thing? Right. Um, Yeah. So that's where I was. Um, so you get to Colorado, and get to Colorado. How how was your dealing with the the sin in your life by this time? It's still there. Yeah, it's definitely like I would go stretches like a month, couple months, um, but it's still it's still popping up. Um, it's still definitely there. Um, Did your husband know new... anything about it? No, not at that point. Um, not at that point. And, and so still, I start this job. Um, I like my job. I really enjoy it. I feel very, excuse me, well utilized. And um, like, I, it's a good fit. I start working at an oil and gas company in their legal department. And um, I feel very like accomplished, like my bosses and supervisors and coworkers are all like giving me affirmation, like affirming me, like you're really smart and you're good at your job and all of this stuff. At the same time, like my anxiety is like crazy. Like every single day, doesn't matter. People are telling me that they're, that I'm doing a good job and all of this in my head. I'm like, I like, there's something that I did wrong and I don't know what it is. And tomorrow's going to be the day that they find it and I'm going to get fired. So like every single day, like going to work, like Mercy. I would have this like mini like panic attack, like I'm going in to get fired. today. <laughs> um, doesn't make any sense. But like every time Monday rolls around, I'm like, like so stressed out about it. I'm just dreading going to my job, not because I hate my job, but because I'm so like so convinced that I'm going to be fired. 
Um, mm. Even though the rational side is like, no, like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, right. Why are you doing this? Um, so keep working that job. Um, we end up having our first child, little boy. Um, it's like my first pregnancy, all of that. Like it was, it was good. Um, like there were some things that happened as, at his birth that I kind of internalized, like this idea of like, like there's this part of me that didn't think that I was enough as a mom. And like, I had this insecurity because I had this really weird belief that once I had kids, I was going to kind of morph into this like soft maternal mothery mother, like whatever that image sure. is. Like I just had this idea that I was suddenly going to become maternal. like, like really maternal. And afterwards and I'm like, well, I'm kind of still myself. <laughs> like, um, I didn't magically become this new person. I'm still me. Um, so I, I dealt with a lot of like insecurities of like, this is not the traditional view of a mother that I have in my head. And is that okay? Am I enough? Like, am I a good mom? And and all of this. So that's kind of floating around there. Um, I end up going back to work. Um, Brene Brown, I had wanted, she would say that shame for women, she calls it a web of shame. And she says the two things that put women in this web of shame is body image and what they believe about how they are as a mother. Yeah. And those are the oh, two yeah. things that will keep you in the web of shame, the web of the am web I of enough? Shame. Yep. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, I had this uh, idea that I wanted to stay at home with my son and that ended up like not being really practical with, um, with our, our situation. And, you know, it was a really good job. I was making decent money. And so uh, I ended up going back to work after a three month maternity leave. And so there was like this part of me is like, oh, like I was supposed to be a stay at home mom and I'm not like, is that okay? And I started like covering it up with like, oh, like there's these other moms at work and they're just career women. And that's the kind of mom that I am. I'm just a career woman who's a mom and I can be both. I can do both. And I think I started like covering those anxieties and that, that the insecurity of like, am I enough mm. for my son um, with this like, yeah, I'm just a modern woman who is a career woman and I can be all things to all people. When you, when um, you would kind come of home, did you like end up trying to spoil the kid because you weren't around and you felt guilty? Did you feel like the mom guilt so that you overdid stuff because of how you felt about being a career woman? I didn't. I, I wouldn't say that I like spoil, but I definitely was like, okay, when I get back home, I need to like, just focus on my son. Um, I just need, I like, I need to give him the healthy foods and I need to, um, yeah, I need to make sure I'm hanging out with him and holding him. And I did like all of the, so I was also a little bit like hippie crunchy in that I like you you wear the babies and you do the ring slings and the wraps and the, anyways, I don't know if you guys all got into that, but I was like, yeah, like uh, the baby's not going to be in a stroller. Like I'm going to have the baby on me. Like we're going to do this attachment parenting thing. And, um, 
and yeah, so I definitely had these things. Oh, and I cloth diapered because I think I just, <laughs> I know, but the cloth I'm like, diaper is a good idea in theory and it saves you a lot of money, but putting poopy mm-hmm. diapers in the, the washing machine is where it stops being practical for me. I, I know. I, I know what you mean. How did you handle But again, that? like, I, I was just, yeah, I, I did it. When I make my mind up that I'm going to do something, I just, I, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, like, I did all of those things, like, with this idea, like, oh, like, I'm a career woman, but I'm also being this, like, super crunchy attachment mom. Like, I'm doing all of these things, like, extra that other people do. So, you know, again, it's another way so of, like. So I am enough. I am enough. Like I'm compensating for that fear that I'm not enough um, in other ways. Um, So, yeah, so I have my son and still at the same job, still afraid I'm going to get fired every single day. Um, I end up, so my, my kids are three years apart. So, you know, a few years later we decided we had our second child or I got pregnant with our second And at the time, like, I think I was maybe three or four months pregnant and our company went through like this process of like massive layoffs because they were basically shutting down our company location and relocating to Houston. Um, So there's this like long drawn out process of you're not going to have a job, um, but we need you to stay and help with this transition. Um, and so like this fear that I had of being fired was coming true in a way. Um, and at a time, like when you're pregnant and you're like, I'm like really concerned, like, what's this going to look like? I'm going to lose my health insurance. Like, are we going to be able to do this financially? And like all of these like fears and stuff. And like my husband had said like, oh, like it's actually like, he had said with our second child, like, oh, like you could probably take off a year. We can definitely afford for you to do that. But in my head, I was like, but can we really? Hmm. Um, So we went through the layoff and it's just like, um, I had already like, even though my husband had said that I was like, well, maybe I'll just come back to the job Mm -hmm. because I like the job and I don't want to lose it. Um, So I was already thinking about that. But then with the layoffs, like that choice was kind of taken off the table. Um, And so it ended up working out that, uh, like, even though, like, I was, my last day at the job was supposed to be in July, and they ended up extending my employment because they needed my help for longer into August. And I had started praying that that would happen Mm -hmm. um, because I had prayed that. So my daughter was due on September 15th. And I started praying that my daughter would be born in August and that my job would be extended to August because that would mean that I would have my company's insurance Mm -hmm. for her birth um, because Cobra is like ridiculously expensive and, and all of this stuff. So I started praying for that specifically and that ended up being exactly what happened. So my job got extended to like August 11th, I think. And then my daughter was born August 28th um, at 37 weeks. So, so you got the insurance then? So I got the insurance. Um, and for, yeah, and for me, it was like, again, like, that was the one thing that I think never allowed me to fully leave 
the faith, even though I had all of these like practical things, like maybe I'm more agnostic, like maybe that makes more sense for me because like, it just seems to fit how I am. Um, but then God would like really show up and move things in a way. And I'm like, he might be real. <laughs> he might be real. Like this is just, you know, it's just a little bit beyond this, like the thing that you can just rationalize. Oh, that's just a coincidence. So again, like God had shown up, I had prayed that my job would be extended to August and that my daughter would be born early in August. Um, and both of those things happened. Um, so again, it's just like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense that God isn't real because of sure. that, um, these things. Um, but after my daughter, like, I was basically like forced into this, like not having a job. And like, part of me is like, I should be really grateful for this. But I fell into this, like, horrible anxiety, postpartum depression thing. Like I was terrified that, um, that we weren't going to be able to afford it, that we were going to get a crazy like hospital bill. Um, and I don't have a job and I have no way of covering it. And, um, I don't want to put that on my husband and like all of this stuff. Um, so it got to the point where I was like literally not able to walk to the mailbox and get my mail because I was terrified that there was going to be a huge hospital bill there. Um, so I ended up having to ask my husband, like, you need to do this for me because I can't. Um, and like, I, again, like I'm a practical, rational person. So I knew that I was not right. Like this was beyond my normal. I knew that I should be able to go to the mailbox. It doesn't make sense. Um, all of this stuff. So you do like, what's the right thing you do? You go to counseling. Um, so I got myself into counseling. I was telling them all these things I was having and like counseling didn't make a difference because I was in such a dark place that there was no way I could logic myself out of it. And that's a lot of like counseling, like, like they're trying to teach you tools to kind of rationalize right. like, Oh, like just, just bring a rational thought to that. I'm like, well, that's already what my entire life has been. Um, and I can't now, like I'm in this horrible dark place. Um, and so that continued. And I think when I first went to my doctor and said, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to try counseling and all this. She like offered me medication at that point. I was like, Oh, well I'm going to try the counseling thing first. So I did the counseling thing for a while and it progressed to the point that I like, like I believed, even though it was, wasn't rational, I believed that my family would be better off without me. Um, and at that point, the sin that I had been struggling with before was just, it was gone after my daughter because I was just in such a dark place. I was trying to survive. I was trying to keep my baby alive and, um, like, yeah, I was, I was just trying to, to survive. So that wasn't a part how, of my how life. How old was your daughter time. at this point when you're starting to believe this? Uh, it was probably like, it, it was pretty bad, but it started, I think when she was about five months because I had been in the depression and anxiety for a while and it wasn't changing. And I would have like moments where I would enjoy her, but then others like, 
I like so this is your it was just like your history of fear driving you mm-hmm. meets yes. postpartum depression meets postpartum depression 100% and it's like and and you know that it's postpartum depression but you also don't know that it's postpartum depression and you're believing yeah you know all these hormones just left my body in a crazy way and I was carrying but mm-hmm. maybe it is true that I shouldn't be here yeah yeah so the early part was definitely that and then beyond that I was like I was like it would just be better if I got in the car tomorrow and I just drove and I didn't come back like everybody would be better if that wasn't the case like if if that's what I did um like I started believing that that would be the case and I had no plan of like what would look that would look like because I really didn't want to like there was nothing that I wanted at that point um, because I was in such a dark place. Like I didn't want anything for myself. I just didn't want my family to have to deal with me basically. Um, so yeah, so that really came to a head. Like, you know, it's one of those things when you see pictures, like pictures can be deceiving because we have this picture of a, family hike and everything looks super pleasant. Like my husband's carrying my daughter, my daughter and I'm goofing off with my son. And that was like the darkest place I ever was. Um, I was just like the whole ride there. I was like, I can't do this. I can't be here. I, I, everybody would be better without me. Like, this is bad. Like I, I like, yeah. I, I just don't want to, I don't want to be here. I re- basically just don't want to exist. And I told my counselor that the next day because I had an appointment and she was like, have you talked to your daughter, doctor recently? And she's like, I was like, no, I haven't. She's like, do you think maybe you should? Hmm. And I was like, maybe. And she's like, because you've been trying this for, at that point, my daughter was eight months. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you've been trying this for eight months. And you haven't been able to truly enjoy your daughter. Like, maybe you should give your doctor a call. Mm. And for me, her saying that, um, I was so thankful for that mm. because that gave me permission to reach out to my doctor and get on medication. Um, So when I did that, the medication, it worked. It took about a month and it started working. And um, like it, I mean, truly it, it saved my life. I was feeling like myself again. I could actually like truly, truly enjoy my daughter, Mm. um, which I hadn't been for, you know, she was almost a year at that point. Um, so I was really, really thankful for that. Some people really like believe that postpartum blues, and I don't know if this is your story. I'm just going to speak on it for a second, that they last like two weeks or something. And if you have postpartum blues, like longer than a couple months, that's not how it works. (laughs) There are women who have, and I'm not an expert on this, but There are women who have depression from uh, postpartum for a year and a half, two years. Yeah. And and it's heavy. 
Um, yeah. And there's like having a baby is crazy. Like <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. There's no yeah. shame in in like that's your body just got rid of all of these hormones. This this and now it is what it is. Uh, yeah. But some there's like I don't know if there is a stigma or if there is a if people don't really talk about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know if everything you were dealing with was just the postpartum depression or if it was the combination of all of the stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, like it's hard to know. Like looking back, I really think it was the combination of everything that I had, like just normally and then, you know, add on the the hormones and everything to that. Um, I think it was just everything kind of just came together and, uh, you know. I couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like all of the rationalizing, didn't like work, yeah. it stopped working. It didn't work. Um, mm. Yeah. So I got on medication and I'm very thankful that I did that. Um, so I started feeling good again and got to enjoy my daughter, you know, as like I started feeling better, you know, the other stuff that I had been wrestling with before kind of came back into the picture. And um yeah started wrestling with that again and i think it was maybe i was on the medication for maybe something like eight months and afterwards i was like oh i just i feel like myself again i feel like i can get off of it and so i ended up getting off of it and felt pretty normal <laughs> and all of this again like wrestling with the stuff and i never remember the timing of like how everything plays out but um like that part of my life just like ramped up in, in my experience. Again, this is not something that I was like really sharing um, with anybody or my husband. Like there's just too much shame. Like I'm not going to talk about this to anybody. It's, it's my hidden yeah, shame that nobody knows with, right? about. 100%. And it got like worse and worse to the point that I could not be with my husband without imagining these things that I was into. Mm um beforehand and when that started happening um that was when i was like i can't like i don't want this like i it's a problem i do not want this like i feel like i'm cheating on my husband i'm not being faithful like this is wrong this is so wrong and at that point i was kind of facilitating a mom's group at my church and again this is not something i'll talk about talk about with anybody any of my friends um but i'm like i just cried out to god at that point i was like god take this away from me i don't want it anymore like you have to take it away from me and like god was so good like he took it away from me wow. and i never went back to it um so i'm really really thankful for that um after that started happening. My kids started being going to school. Um, my daughter started preschool when she was about three and my son had been going to school. Um, he was six at the time and he, like I would take my kids to school and then I got a work from home job actually after, um, uh, my daughter was born. So when she was about, um, like four or five months, I actually got a job that was working from home, which is like a perfect, set up like because I could be more present with my kids and that kind of took that 
guilt away of like not being present and, you know, I could still have a career and, you know, have this like make money and feel like I'm doing accomplishing something and using my brain and all of this stuff. So it's kind of the perfect combo. So I was working from home and I would have to take my kids to school and then go and pick them up. Um, and their school is like, you know, seven minutes from our house, super close. But when I would take them, I would start having these fears that somebody from my work was going to call me while I was picking up my kids. And then that was going to, they were going to start thinking that I wasn't doing my job or like have all of these things. Anyways, these are just scenarios going on in my head. So I started having panic attacks um, in the parking lot, trying to pick my kids up from school. Um, And when those panic attacks started, at that point, I had kind of realized, like, I'd never realized that, like, I never had a name for all of the fear that I had. When I went through the postpartum depression and I got medication for it, I started researching. I was like, oh, there's this thing called anxiety and people have that. And it's like a mental disorder and all of this stuff. And I'm like reading all the symptoms. I'm like, this has been me my entire life. Mm. Like, how have I not known this? Mm. Um, Like, I'm this person who has this generalized anxiety disorder. (laughs) Um, And so uh, when I started having the panic attacks um, and I wasn't being able to control them, like I would just get in my car and like I would just hyperventilate for like 10 minutes before I had to go into the school and then I would just like pull it together and um, try to appear normal. And when those started happening, I was like, well, I've used medication before, so there's no reason why I can't get on medication again to help me manage this thing, because there is actually a way for me to live without all of this fear. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I reached out to my doctor again, and I got on the medication that I was using before. And when I got on that medication, like, you know, it started working, but then I started having all of these like side effects with it. And so I ended up switching medications. And with that one, I had even worse side effects. And I kind of used it for maybe a period of like six months and finally decided I can't tolerate the side effects. Um, So this was probably January of 2020 um, when I was like, I can't deal with all these side effects. Anxiety is just going to be a part of my life. And I'm just going to have to live with it because it's either live with all of these side effects or have the anxiety. And I've been managing my anxiety my entire life. Mm -hmm. So I can do that. Um, uh, So I got, I made the choice to get off the anxiety medication and, you know, as it were off, sure enough, like I was back to kind of my normal self having irrational fears that, you know, and again, it's like been all, all these things, like something bad's going to happen to me, something bad's going to happen to my kids, like I'm sick, I'm, you know, just crazy, random, like intrusive thoughts, like, or I'm going to get fired, like, it could be anything. Um, and so it's just back to that normal, um, normal dealing with anxiety, but I'm like, I've been doing this my whole life, it's okay. Um, and so around... Uh, trying to think when it was. So in February, 
love reality came to the church that I had been attending. I wasn't attending at the time. Um, they had come and they had done a tour there and I didn't go. Um, but some friends of mine did and they had like a really transformational experience through that series. And so after that, like my friend like started basically telling everybody that she knew, um, you have to go watch the series. Like you have to, have to, have to, have to. And I'm like, eh. When people do that eh. stuff, we're just like, <laughs> stop. Like, why are you telling me to watch yeah. this thing? The thing you're telling me to watch is not going to be that tight. Please. Right. I'm like, I'm a pastor's kid. Like I know all of this stuff. You can't teach anything new that I haven't already heard. Like, come on. And my dad was always like, he preached on Romans a ton growing up and so i'm like i know about the whole grace thing like like i don't need this mm -hmm. and so she kept like she was persistent um and she kept like telling me about it like you know a couple times a month like she just kept like you guys really need to watch this you really need to watch this and at the time like during the summer i was really kind of going through this like does it make sense for me to call myself a christian like doesn't make sense for I definitely don't call myself an Adventist. Um, I'm like, I may go to an Adventist church, but I don't like I'm not going to be called Adventist. Um, that was my thing. Like, like, I like Jesus. Like, maybe I'll call myself a Jesus follower. This is like, a year ago. Like, this is a year <laughs> ago. Yeah. So I'm like going through this. And then like, again, like I'm actually starting to go back to you know, like all my friends who are agnostic, I have way more in common with them than a lot of this stuff. So like, why don't I just call myself agnostic? Like, like, what do I really call myself? Like, what do I really call myself? Do I really call myself a Christian? Like, that doesn't seem to sit right. Do I call myself a Jesus follower? That sounds kind of weird and hippy dippy. Like, I don't know about that. <laughs> Definitely not going to call myself an Adventist. So it's kind of like going through that. And still dealing with the anxiety stuff and my friend is just persistent go watch this i'm like okay fine finally i gave in why'd i'm you like give, why'd I'll you give in? Do i don't know i, know why, I think it was just why did you give in well yeah i mean yeah 100 percent. we both <laughs> know why but, but the, yeah it was the smoke screen for the reason why like what was the day that you were just like fine i'll watch the daggum video yeah so I think what it ended up being is um, like just I think when you when you're married to somebody for a long time, like you you just get into a rhythm where you're you're kind of comfortable and in many ways complacent. And so one of the things that we try to do when it seems like that's happening is like let's listen to an audio book or let's go watch this thing together because then we end up having really good conversations afterwards. So I think honestly, it was just it, like the initial thought was like, this will be a way for my husband and I to connect and listen to this thing. And like, it's spiritual. It'll be good for us oh, okay, kind cool. of thing. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we'd also heard about this show called the chosen. Um, so we were like alternating nights. So we ended up uh, pulling up on YouTube, love reality at PVC and it's a good one. Um, it's a good one. And you guys should watch started it if listening. You haven't watched it. 
<laughs> you should a hundred percent. So I'm like, we're going through these nights and Jonathan is talking about this thing and he's explaining like the gospel and the grace in a way that just like seems so simple in a way like the, the analytical, like nerdy side of me is like, Oh, like, this is how I can explain like why I'm still here. Like, this is how I can explain the gospel because I don't know how to explain the gospel. This makes a ton of sense. So like after (laughs) the first one, like the first one is about when you got free. It's about Mm -hmm. uh, Romans six freedom from sin. After watching the first one free from sin, did did right after this first one were you like okay I see what old girl's talking about a little bit did, or like like I mean you obviously came back to watch the second one after the first episode yes. chosen but like like it just was like stimulating to your rational mind and like mm-hmm. the explanation was good yes a hundred percent and like it was vibing with what I had heard my dad preach on Romans but it was kind of in a way. I, and when you're hearing your parents speak, I like it might be a really good message, and I'm sure my dad explained it in a really like like well done rational way that you know people would vibe with. But for some reason, Jonathan doing it, it was like, oh, that makes so much sense, and I really liked like kind of the in depth and the you know he'll get on the the whiteboard and like make all these connections, and I'm like, it was just really kind of stimulating that mm-hmm. that analytical like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know other word to just nerdy yeah. inside of it. And I'm like taking notes. And I'm like, oh, this is how I can explain it to people. Like, I'm not a wacko kook. Like, I am rational. So much of the love of love reality, and you just said something that made me think about it, is that people watch it and they're like, now I can explain it to somebody else. But what is actually going on is it's making sense to them and they're receiving God's love. And they don't know how to talk about it. So they say, oh, now I can explain it. And they want to watch it again so they can explain it better. But there's something about them that like they want to watch it again because they want to know, is it true? Can it it be true? Is it real for me? Yep. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. So for the first six, six nights, like six mm-hmm. parts of the series or five, we watched the first five and I was definitely taking it like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like, I love this. This is how I can explain it to people. All of this, like that was definitely. And then it's night six and he's talking about how, like when God speaks, like, like, stuff appears like right matter happens like everything that has like thinkiness like anything that actually truly exists is because god has spoken it and it was that whole message and when he started that that's when it was like oh this is about me Mm. like this is about me because when he was saying that i'm like if I'm, and like he was talking about how sin is actually deception, like sin is a lie that comes from the enemy because God didn't speak it. So it doesn't actually have it's a no thing. 
it's a no thing. It's a no thing. It has no actual existence. Like there's no physiology like to it. There's no anatomy. No physiology yeah. to it. Yeah. And so when he started saying that, it was like, wait. So if I believe in God and I believe that he spoke everything into existence and he says that he has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of sound mind, that means that anxiety is a lie. Like, and that means that if I believe what he said, then this thing doesn't actually have any real power over me. Mm. And that is when, like, that's when it all came together for me, where I was like, I actually do believe in God, and I do believe in this thing. And if I believe this thing, and I believe in God, I can believe what he spoke about me over anything. And yeah, when I heard that message, that's when it all came together for me. Um, so this thing, this fear, this anxiety that I had had my entire life, I now believed was a no thing. Like, I now believe that it was a no thing, that the truth was that I had the spirit of power and of sound mind because, like, Jesus lives within me. And what he says about me, that is the thing. That is the thing. And I can believe that. And this other thing, it has no real true power over me. It's just deception. And after that, like, I have been, like, free, free from anxiety and fear from that moment on. Like, I was free. And that doesn't mean that I never had any anxious thoughts after that. They just no, had no power over me anymore because I now knew that they were coming from the outside they were not coming from me and they were not coming from my father in heaven. And if they weren't coming from my father in heaven, then they didn't have, they didn't have to have anything to do with my life because God had spoken this value over me. He had given me this, this new thing and he had called me daughter. He had called me child. And all of my value, like, I mean, if the God of the universe who created everything calls you daughter, calls you loved, like, took my anxiety into his own body and died to it so that I could be free from it, like, that changes everything. Like, it changes everything. You've been perfectly loved, and perfect love yes. casts out all fear. All fear. All fear. And that was the moment that I knew that I was and I always had been perfectly loved. What was that experience like 
when that episode or that that sermon was over and you either closed the laptop like what was the experience I'm trying to like it was just this whole thing of like whoa like I think I was just I probably didn't have a lot to say for like a few days after that, because I was like, this changes everything. Like, it's like, yeah, this is much better than I thought it was. Yes. So much better. Like so much better. I'm like, it's, it's wild. Like if this is real, if by yes. his stripes I am healed now then I then I have it all then I have it all yeah and like I want to get into a little bit how that that looks um because when I believed that I was free from fear and God had not given me the spirit of fear like I believed everything Like, I believed that the Holy Spirit lived within me. And if I have the Holy Spirit living within me, that means that I have all the fruits of the Spirit. Like, all of them. Like, that's what's real. Because God said it. And what he says is real. It it is, it becomes the reality. Um, So if God spoke it and it wasn't reality before, it becomes the reality. Um, So I believed it all. I was like, this gospel is so good because you are in the middle of the summer and you don't want to watch this thing. And then you watch it and you were thinking that you were agnostic. And a few days later, you're like, I am filled with the spirit. You're, you were over here and now you're, I had a friend, you know, I, I was working at Amazon for a half a year and this person was working next to me one night and we just start talking and she's living completely anxious. Her ex-boyfriend had messed her up and she was just like living in this whole thing. And I'm like, nah, that's whack. You can't live like that. So I start talking to her and I'm just like, yo, this is what, this is what this is about. God loves you so much that he did this and da 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 And she's just listening to me and listening to me. And two days later, she comes up to me and she's like, I think I'm a Christian. And I'm like, let's go. Like, God loves you so much. And, And this is how it happens. When you hear the truth. Mm-hmm. When when you hear the truth. When you know the truth. The truth will set you free. Yeah. That's why like we're yeah. doing this daggum podcast. So people can hear the truth. Like yep. so they hear your story. And they're like I want what she's having. Like I want to know what she heard. Like. And it doesn't take, if you're really listening, like you'll go from being agnostic to being filled with its spirit in a matter of days. Yes. 
or minutes. Like, I feel like it was like 50 minutes and whoa, I've got the Holy Spirit. So I have everything. Like I have this crazy abundance. Um, yeah, it's so wild. Um, yeah. So one of the things like before in, you know, dead Alicia, um, as a mom, one of the things I really wrestled with is I would get so impatient and frustrated with my kids. And one of the ways that I soothe that conscious is like, I'm just not a very patient mom. I'm just not a very gentle mom. And like, like trying to rationalize, but that's okay. I'm, I'm still a good mom. Like there's still all of these other things. So after this experience, I'm like, whoa, so wait, I'm patient. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually gentle. What? Like, what? Why didn't anybody tell me that I was Why patient? Why didn't anybody tell me? Yeah, so the way this started looking is like, because I believed it. Like, like I went agnostic, love reality night six. I have all the fruits of the spirit. Like, I am patient. I am gentle. I am righteous. I am holy. <laughs> like, all of this stuff. And I'm like, so the next day, I'm like, my kids start yelling and like fighting and poking. And I'm like, I don't feel very patient right now. But I am patient because God said that I am. So I'm like, okay, God, um, you say I'm patient. I'm believing you. And like, I just need your help because. I'm not feeling it. And then like the next words out of my mouth would be patient and gentle and loving. I'm like, okay, that oh, works. I see what you did there. You, f- I you see what you did there. <laughs> you filled me with your spirit. And like, I kept walking that thing out because I would still feel like the frustration and the impatience and um, all of that rising up in me. Um, before, but I now believe this thing. And so I kept walking that out. Like, no, you said that I'm patient. You said that I'm gentle. And I believe you over what I'm feeling right now. And so I kept walking it out. And (laughs) Richard, this is, it was, I don't know, probably earlier this year where I had been doing that. Um, Like from, this was last July and I had kept doing that. And then after a while, like, I wasn't thinking about it anymore. And like, earlier this year, I was like, my default now is patience. My default is gentleness. Like, like, I'm no longer like, like, this is just who I am. Like, I believed it before, but I was walking that thing out by faith you know, for a while. And then I wasn't having to do the whole, like, I don't feel patient. God help me with this. Like I just was. Man alive. <laughs> so this has been a year. Yep. When did we start connecting with you? Like you watch this thing in the middle of the summer. When did you start connecting with us? Because, like, when you, yeah, you came so, in hot. 
like <laughs> we're just like who yo who who is this person i don't know where I, where i ran into you first or where oh must have been a friday night thing it was a friday night bible study yep how did you, yep, how did you get was... onto that so like after watching the the pvc did you go talk to um your friend and say uh yeah that was uh the good one like what what did you do after yes yeah so um so my friend is her name's cheryl and her husband kevin and cheryl's the one who kept telling me about it and yes they're (laughs) they're wonderful um the best (laughs) everyone's the best (laughs) everyone's our favorite right um And uh, so also my friend Becca, like we were back in the day, like when our little ones, like with our first children, it was when we started having that mom's group through the church that we were going to at the at the time. And that's how I knew them. And so Cheryl had also been telling Becca about love reality. Love and her. Becca, <laughs> love her, right? <laughs> She's amazing. Um, yeah, so I think she ended up watching love reality maybe before, and I think she might've seen some of the ones from the series in February that Cheryl and, and Kevin went to. Um, but, but anyways, so she started going to, there is a Friday night Bible study, uh, like Sabbath mornings, and she had been going to that one. Um, the one that, um, I think Eddie was facilitating or is facilitating it. Um, and she was like, Hey, so here's the link to the Bible study that I go to on Sabbaths. Um, but here's also this other fr- link to this Friday night Bible study. Like I can't go to that one. It's when my kids go to bed. Um, I've never been to that one, but I have the link. Here's the link. So she sent me both those links and I'm in Oklahoma at the time visiting my parents. And I'm just like, I'm going to join this Bible study. <laughs> and I just like show up and I'm like, I don't know any of you, but you are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love you. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there anything going yep. on? Was it like just people going at it? Like the 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 coolest thing about the Friday night thing, and if you're not listening, uh, I mean, if you're listening and you haven't been to the Friday night thing, this is a Bible study run by uh, Zach and Connor and Nick. And uh, they just started because of COVID and it's been life changing. Like Mm -hmm. people get on there and there's, (laughs) it seems like if you're, if, if you're in there and you don't know who the person is that doesn't like, isn't vibing, like then it's probably you. Like if you're like, who, who are these people? What What is going on here? Like you're about to get like jumped. Like this is just like, <laughs> yeah. that's how it goes down. Cause yeah. like everyone's in there and we're all like talking about stuff. And then somebody says something that there's like, like there's no agreement. Like, like, like double-minded mm-hmm. theology. And s- someone will just kind of ask a question and be like, so, uh, what's your relationship to sin? And then it's like, then it's on from there. And for like the next three hours, everyone's on there just like, yep. Oh, I love it. But was that what was going on? Like when you would log in, like, like it'd just be like life giving people and they're just finding out who they are. Yeah. I mean, I got on there and I'm like, Oh wow. Like this person's life just 
change. Like this person's life just changed. Oh, this person's life's going to change. Like tonight, this is happening. Um, like all these people like experiencing what I had experienced in July. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, like, yeah, it's amazing. And so you've been walking this thing out for a year. Any chance that this yep. thing's going to go away? Any chance that this is just like a spiritual high? Why is there no chance that this thing goes away for you? I mean, because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Like, he, like if you don't think he's good, like, talk to talk to anybody like in this group like go read like he's so good like so good like i think you said in one of your previous podcasts like if the gospel if the gospel we're saying is like anything it's that we're selling it short it's that we're we're like what we're saying we're saying it's so so good and it's if it sounds good to you, it's probably even better than that. Like it is better than that. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and let me just say, like, I've had so many phases in my life. I've had hobbies and I'm a, I would get, I get into stuff and I'm like, I lose interest and I lose the fervor. Nothing has changed in a year. I am still free from anxiety. My default is the fruits of the spirit. Um, I no longer fear rejection or have all these expectations of like my husband, you know, my kids. I don't have fear about my kids because before I'd be like, oh, what if they get sick? What if something happens to them? All of this, like I can just, I live in peace because no matter what tomorrow brings is I could never be more loved than I am right now. And that is the same. The same is true for my kids. Like they could not be more loved than they are right now. And all those fear of not being equipped or not being enough as a mom, the Holy Spirit lives within me. I mean, he lives within me. And like we're partners in this parenting thing, right? Those fruits of the spirit, like, God loves them so much and I get to love them and God gets to love them through me. Hey, hey put your hands down. Hey, we ain't coming questions, yeah, we bend down. Creed, I am Adonis, watch the hands now. We're from thinking broke to living rich now. Hey, busting with the twos, you watch me slide now. Hey, she look kind of bougie and she bad now. Hey, mama think I made it easy, proud now. Hey, hey. Shot, K.O.D., only talk, holy thing, 
things. I'm a prince, that's Rakim. You are king. 23, check the rings. FOG on my feet, on my soul. Jesus Christ set me free. Son. Only motivation on me now is heavenly. A lot of people trying to drain me of this energy. I talked to God, told me people's not my enemies. I'm cutting ties with the spirits trying to play with me. Finna go shoot. Can't stop till we make it to the moon. It's too late, can stop it, it's a boom. No, I cannot wait till you approve. I got people with me on the other side. Spirit on me too bright, I see they tryna ride. Coming out for the night, yeah, it's that come alive. Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive. We stay alive. Hey, hey.